Where are you going with that barrel? Four with it, for I'll make you swallow it. You split between a tired mud turtle and a crippled hearse horse. Welcome, one and all, to another round of the book reviews. And today I have for you the book, Life on the Mississippi, by the one, the only, Mark Twain. Now, this book has a bit of years on it. It was published in 1883, so it's almost 140 years. And it is an excellent snapshot into the past. Now, this book is uh, the memoir of Samuel Clemens, who, aka Mark Twain, but uh, of his days as a pilot on a steamship boat, but also the history of, of America, I guess. Indian stories, journey after the 1860s Civil War, uh, his child reminisces, as well as cultural observations. So the book has a lot of different things all packed into to one thing. It's, it's quite a large book in one sense. Like it, it looks relatively small, but the writing in itself in the book is quite tiny and it's 300, getting close to 400 pages. And there's like 50 something um, chapters in it. So it's it's almost like you can get a little bit of everything from it. It doesn't have a one solid storyline to it. Now, some of the themes in the book, I had to take these out for myself because as I just mentioned, the book is a collection of different things. So it's not like you can just take one thing out of it or he's trying to convey one thing. I think what he was trying to do with the book is just show like this was what the past was like and this is how it is now and, and you know, go over a bit of American history. So one of the things I took out from it was the life in the different eras and how changes can come quickly, but there are still vestiges of the past. So you can see in this, particularly in the towns in the book. So basically it's it centered around life on the Mississippi, the Mississippi River uh, connecting New Orleans to, uh, I can't remember what's at the north, uh, another big city. And he, he's talking about how in these different towns along the Mississippi, you can still find these traces of the past in it, even though he's you know living in the present there. He sort of went back to it after 20 years, I think, of being a writer to go back to his old days as a um, as a pilot, a cub pilot on these steamboats. And it's really interesting just to see how, how many things have changed from what he knew to what it was in his time, like as he was writing it. And in these cities that are along the, the river, I, I call them cities, but they're also small towns, where sometimes big changes can happen very rapidly. So the Mississippi River can actually get flooded. It can create different... Uh, courses and routes and so what used to be like a town right on the on the edge of the Mississippi one year later can be 50 miles out from where that Mississippi Mississippi actually goes now and so he's talking about how like in these old towns where you know maybe they used to have a fishing scene maybe it used to be full of commerce and whatnot it'll it'll change very dramatically and they'll still have the old dock where it used to be going onto what is now just a lake or or even out onto nothingness. So it's just really interesting to see how even though he was writing in the present and looking at the past, you know, now we're looking 140 years later at the book and being like, oh, wow, that's a really old time. Uh, it's it's just interesting, I guess, seeing those vestiges that that live up to the moment. And it's like what what nowadays still resides from those times of of living on the Mississippi? And, you know, it would be really, really fascinating to go there and, and travel on it and see, okay, like how different is it if you go to some of these small towns that were around 140 years ago, what are they like? Do they still have, the, you know, the same sorts of people in it that were in this, in this book? 
And that sort of uh, ties into the next theme, which was becoming so absorbed in a preoccupation, a work, a hobby, whatever it is, and not preparing for other possibilities. So you can really see this with the, the steamboat pilots in the book where they once had this booming, thriving trade of, you know, multiple book uh, boats, like many multiples, hundreds of boats going from one end of the, one end of the Mississippi to the other, uh, taking cargo, taking passengers and whatnot. That all rapidly changed within 20 years with the industrial revolution of the, the trains, which were able to transport people much quicker, much safely. And also the technical, uh, technological innovations of lighting up the Mississippi so these pilots didn't need to have such first-hand knowledge of it. They could sort of become a little bit lazy and whatnot. And you see that a lot of the pilots really struggle. They become farmers even though they have no idea how to be a farmer because that one very technical, very specialized niche went away, you know, in pretty rapid times. So, you know, 20 years is, is within a person's lifetime to to go from being having a steady, secure job to essentially nothing. And that still happens nowadays, I think. And it's interesting to think of it, for example, Olympic athletes who, you know, maybe even just the coronavirus times, they they had the, the Olympics, which they were planning on. Maybe they were planning on having a good performance and then they'd get sponsorships and whatnot. And then one little thing changes and it's like, oh, crap, what the hell do I do? So I think it's good to to develop skills to that are transferable in, across different areas and then you can somewhat immunize yourself against massive changes by having something that's transferable from one thing to another and that's probably the future of of work of of people being able to survive and earn money in the world it's that maybe you don't need an engineering degree maybe you need to be good at basic mathematics and thinking on your feet having a certain capability of retaining knowledge of like instant recall, but also applying that to different areas. So that was just a, a little interesting thing, which, which made me think like, you know, nowadays we really feel it with technology and certain professions going almost out of business overnight because of rapid, rapid changes in the technical, technological and technology and what we can produce. Yet it was still like that 140 years ago. So interesting little things um, popping up there, which leads on to the final one, the effects of technology on human functioning and other abilities that we're losing. And do they matter? So for example, he's talking in the book about how a, a real good cub pilot, a person on the steamboat chute who actually drives the boat, they needed to have almost perfect recall of the river. They needed to uh, because the river was always constantly changing and when you're piloting in the dark you needed to know okay like in 20 miles there's this bend in the river there's a hidden log in in this section there's two sandbars that connect to form this weird current so you need to do this special thing and he's talking about how all these things were super super necessary and then he comes back to it and these the steamboat pilots that were still existing even though there was barely any steamboats had lost all of these skills because now there was lighting on the on certain parts of the river so they knew they just needed to aim for the light they didn't need to particularly know the currents in the river at this point and be up to date on all these different things and it's just i guess interesting that it's like i said it's 140 years old but they're still having some discussions we're having nowadays which are oh are we losing our ability 
to recall stuff because now we can just use the internet, type it in in a second. No one knows how to read a map anymore because we just have GPS, we type it in and it'll direct us where we need to go. And I think he was saying in the book, like, yes, there's there's obviously some downsides, I guess, to remembering certain things, especially if the internet goes down and then no one knows how to get anywhere because we don't know how to read maps. But also that there can be negatives for the things you're currently doing, which we don't really speak about that much. So potentially, let's say I never need to remember a date again because I can type it into Google and find it instantly. Is that opening up memory capacity in my brain to potentially form stronger, thicker memories with my family, for example, so I can be closer with my family, which will bring me more joy? Is it dampening my ability to process new information because I'm stuck with all this old bullshit. And he was talking about how one of the guys of uh, a photo- photographic memory was almost essential. Not essential, not almost essential. It was very, very useful to be a steamboat pilot. And he was talking about one guy who actually had it and had it you know, the best of anyone he's ever met. This guy could recall what he ate for lunch on the Thursday and the first day of September in you know 1865 uh, it was also the same day where his mum uh, split her toe on the on the bedside table and that horse that was down the road galloped out and blah 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 and he was saying how you know you would all think man a photographic memory that'd be excellent I could just remember things I wouldn't have to be like oh where did I leave my keys or oh, oh I'm gonna forget what's the name's anniversary blah 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 but he was saying like no no no, no this isn't all a good thing because this guy he met, even though he had this perfect recall photographic memory, he had no, I guess, like decision-making abilities to sort out what is important and what's not. And so this guy, when he was talking, he'd start a story, but he was a shit storyteller because he'd just go, oh yeah, and then on this day, this happened. And that actually reminds me of 30 years later when this thing happened and blah, blah, blah. And so he just, he had no ability to, to decide, okay, this is important. This is what some people would enjoy, blah, blah, blah. So it just made me think like, what are some things that we think are essential now, but are actually holding us back, for example, or if they're not holding us back, say we can get that skill, outsource it to technology, what other skills can we develop? And, you know, that, that just made me think like if, if there's technology sometimes gets a bad rap because, oh no, no one can, you know read or handwrite on anymore or blah, 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 you know, insert whatever thing in there. But I don't think there's been enough thought going into, okay, but do we actually need that? Like, is that skill something that's really, really good? No one writes a handwritten letter anymore. But the last time I did it and I tried to send it to Columbia, it never got there because the postal system is shit and inefficient. So, you know, there's a, there's a, there's always downsides to these things. So, there's, uh, it is good to think of both the positives and the negatives. Now, my own observations from the book, it, I love the fascinating intricacies of the steamboating piloting. And it's, it's sort of funny because I have absolutely no interest in boats, in the ocean, in water, in water sports or anything related to that. But what someone who has a passion for something can convey to you is anything a good story and passion will make anything interesting. And so 
one of the things I loved about this book was it took something I really have no interest in and made me go, man, man, that steamboating stuff is interesting, man. I wish I was there. I wish I could have talked to him and seen, you know, the beauty of the river, the way that they had to navigate these certain points, the the dangers that were associated with, you know, steamboat, um, the boilerplates blowing up and the, oh man, there's all these fascinating things. And he just got deeper and deeper and the, and the deeper he got, the more I enjoyed it. And I think anything with a good story to it and passion can can really just draw you in. And that's one of the things I got from the book. Not so much the steamboat uh, piloting stuff, although that was, as I mentioned, interesting. It was more the fact that if someone has a, and it needs to be a skill as well. So he could have written this book and even if he had passion, he needed to have the technical know-how to write a good book as well to make me interested in it, to tell the story. So you need the passion, but you also need the skill to be able to convey it. So those two together can make, I would say, most things at least somewhat interesting. Uh, unless it's crocheting, I I find that pretty boring. <laughs> it was a wild time in history as well, and you could see this with the grifters, the undertakers, the huge mosquitoes, the floodings, the fashion styles, the death and danger, and also how to swear properly. The he covers so many different things in this book. It's it's insane how how much he managed to fit in. And what I love about that is it it gives you a real blast from the past. It really gets you to feel okay. This is what it was like to live in the 1880s in the 19th century on a steamboat in the American South. And yeah, it was it was just fascinating seeing all these different things, which you know nowadays you don't even really think of that much. The the like how people swear back in those days was so much different and the way they interacted the way the pilot boat captain would interact with the actual person doing the piloting the cub pilot so many different things and yeah i just really really enjoyed that so what made this book so good as i as i mentioned was that but also the way he conveyed certain points and mark twain is goddamn hilarious i never knew this because i'd read a couple of his books before the adventures of huckleberry finn being one of them and that's obviously built around a story a character and so it has the normal sort of progression of things uh, you know and a start a middle and ending a climax the the different parts of it and, and breaking up the stories whatnot but in this one he he got a chance to i, I think be himself and he, he had such a great sense of humor the real deadpan style that i like but also the over exaggeration of certain things so he was talking about how this one guy was you know how people can fair f- compare fish oh my fish was this big oh my, no my fish was this big he was saying how people were doing that but with mosquitoes oh uh, yeah the mosquitoes in st louis they're, they're they're nothing but the mosquitoes in uh in um you know the mississippi county or whatnot they're they're so big that uh they drain a horse dry in in 10 seconds they're so big they actually went uh, into the the polling station. I saw them voting, and and then he's like, "Oh, but some people thought that was a bit too far." And he's like, "Yeah, you're right. I probably didn't see him in the polling stations, but you know, they're at least uh, hanging outside of it and canvassing people to to get their opinions." And like, it was just such good uh, timing and structure of the jokes and the way he set them out. Just like I had laughing out loud moments not just that but also like the deep belly laughs where you're losing breath where you're losing air and it it hurts beautiful so 
in in finality, in summary, an amazing book doesn't need to be conventional. And this is one thing I really got from it. This this book is not conventional. It goes through so many different areas. It goes from funny to sad to boring and like you know monotonous um, journal entries from pilots and newspaper clippings personal drama with Mark Twain and then also with his companions, small outside stories, things which are probably fiction but maybe not. And he goes over so many different things and you'd think like, oh, man, this is just a mess of a book. He has no structure to it. But however the hell he did it, it works together beautifully. So this was actually the most enjoyable book I have read in this in this past year. I've been trying to read 50 books from October 2019 to October of 2020 and so far I've only got two more three more weeks left to go but so far this has been the best book of, of the lot I'm getting it a very solid eight out of ten seems a little bit harsh but uh, if you look at my previous examples of rating systems I I, re- I rarely give above an eight or an eight and a half my only detraction with the book was I felt there was like a slight boredom in one part in the it was, I think it was around the middle yeah, particularly when he was going over some uh, journal entries of like previous pilots and things like that or like times that it took to race from uh, Mississippi, uh, New Orleans to St. Louis or wherever the hell he was going. So, uh, in total, Life on the Mississippi, not in the Mississippi, Life on the Mississippi is a fantastic book. I highly, highly recommend it. What's something pragmatic I'm going to take from the book? Well, I want to read more Mark Twain. He his style I never knew was so good. I, I enjoyed the Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, and I'm also reading uh, the Adventures of Tom Sawyer uh, at, at the moment. And yeah, I just never realized one that he was so prolific an author. He has many many books, and also that his style can change really dramatically. I thought he was more of a fiction guy, but he's also done nonfiction stuff. This being one of them, and I just can't say how much I enjoyed this book. So. Highly recommended. Check out Life on the Mississippi by Mark Twain. And that's it for today. If you enjoyed this review, if you found it useful, let me know in the comments, on Instagram, wherever you want to go. And I'm going to leave it there for today. That's it. Peace. Kyron out.